Good evening, everyone. If we could again open the meeting in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing, our gracious God and Heavenly Father, again we come before you and we would ask for wisdom, for guidance at this time as we, as we hear the gospel. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit uh, might use this time to convict any of those here that are unsaved, that they might trust fully in the rock that is Christ Jesus, in the cornerstone of our salvation, the one who died for us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. All right, so a few weeks ago, I was asked to speak, and it was thought it might be a good idea, maybe I could give my testimony and share with you all how I came to know the Lord, how I was saved. And so that is what my plan is this evening, is to go through my testimony with you and help you understand what I was thinking, why I was thinking it, and what brought me to that moment when I first believed. Um, and there's going to be uh, two verses that are the theme of the message tonight, and you can turn with me to them if you'd like. The first one is in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And now that you've gotten to Hebrews, now I'm going to make you turn to Proverbs. So in Proverbs is the second verse, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So those are the two verses that I'm going to show tonight uh, were very real in my life, and two other men in the Bible that I'm going to share with you, which you probably are well aware of already. So now, if you want, you can turn. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And this guy, he says to him, Which ones? Which ones? I mean, come on. And Jesus said to him, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to what the young man says. He says, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Can you believe it? I have kept all of these things since I was a kid. I have kept all the Ten Commandments. Come on. And Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to the disciples, assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So remember that verse in Proverbs that we just read a few minutes ago. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So this man, he undoubtedly thought himself righteous. Maybe he even thought of himself worthy of heaven before he even came to the Lord Jesus. And maybe, or maybe he thought he could earn his salvation in some way, something he could do, something he could do that would merit eternal life. Do you know anyone like that? They might say something like this. It might sound something a little like this. God is a good God. I agree with you. God is a loving God. Amen. Of course. He's a merciful God. Hallelujah. Yes, he is. And they'll say, he knows my heart. And he wouldn't send me to hell. I'm a good person. Well, that's where you lose me. Because in Jeremiah, it says something about the heart. In Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible also says in Romans that there are none that are righteous, no, not one. It also says in Romans that the wages of sin is death, and it's not just talking about a physical death, but a, a separation from God for all of eternity. So it's not a happy story for our friend, the rich young ruler. The Lord Jesus Christ, in those few sentences, in that very brief exchange, he's able to take that man who thinks he is righteous, who thinks he is worthy of heaven, and he is able to lay him open. He is able to show himself, he is able to show that young man his condition before the Almighty God, and he walks away sorrowful. What a shame. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 is one of my favorite verses. Chapter 4 and verse 29 it says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So you could say maybe, maybe this young man was truly seeking after God. Maybe he was just trying to impress his friends. Maybe he just wanted to see how he stacked up. But maybe, maybe let's say, maybe let's say he was actually legitimately seeking after God, like it says in Deuteronomy. He literally found him right there in front of him. There is the Messiah. There is the creator of the universe. There is the one who will die for his sins. The lamb that was to be slain. There he is, that one who has all of the answers that young man needs. And Jesus Christ does exactly what he needs to do to lay that man open, to show that man his condition before God. But what does that young man do with that information? He walks away sorrowful. It was too great a cost. He didn't want it. He didn't really want salvation. He thought himself righteous. You know, in the Bible, there's many verses, you know, Jesus Christ talks about it himself, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... He has, not called, uh, he has not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Those who think they are righteous, they have no need of God. Those who are well have no need of a doctor. But he is able to show this man in that brief exchange that he is a sinner and that he has not kept the Ten Commandments and that he is not right before God. So now we'll skip over to my story. My story starts about 25 years ago when I was six years old. I remember getting out of first grade early that day because I was going to a funeral. Not a fun occasion. Um, 
it was for my second cousin, and his name was James. And James had contracted uh, something as a result of a blood transfusion, is my understanding, a very tragic situation. He had died. He was only 13. And I remember a few things about that day. And one of the things that I remember, and one of the things that really hit me like a ton of bricks when I was six years old, is all the adults and all the sorrow, all of the crying, just the sadness. I mean, I'd seen, you know, my mom or my dad shed a, shed a tear here or there. I, you know, my dad would shed a tear, you know, occasionally at the breaking of bread. And so I wasn't a stranger to seeing them cry, but this was different. This was very different. I remember looking up to my left as we're standing in front of James's body, and I remember seeing my dad's face and just the sorrow and just the sadness. And that was the first time I was confronted with death. At six years old, I realized I could die. That could be me. And I knew from Sunday school that if I died in my sins, I was going to hell. I knew that I was a sinner. And uh, if I wasn't saved, I was going to die in my sins. I was going to go to hell. Or if, uh, you know, I didn't die, but if the Lord came, I would be left behind. You know, two were, you know, standing at the mill. I would be the one left behind. That was me. That little song was talking to me. And so I knew that if I died or if the Lord came, that's not a good thing. And so that was the first time that reality of death hit me. And I don't know if it was that night or if it was within that next week, but I remember one night I gathered up enough courage and I walked downstairs through the blue room because, you know, carpet used to be different colors. And we walked through, I walked through the blue room and I asked my dad. He was sitting at the table and I said, Dad, I want to be saved. How do I get saved? Because if anybody knows how to get saved, it's my dad. I mean, he, he knows all the answers to the Bible. You can't ask him a question about the Bible. He doesn't know it. And so he must know how to be saved. And so I asked him. And he was more than happy to go through all the different gospel verses with me. And so we read verses like John 3.16. And we went through a few illustra illustrations. And Dad made some Kool-Aid, red Kool-Aid. And he had one object lesson where we were going through the, the Kool-Aid. And he was talking about, you know, my sin and Jesus taking all my sin. And I just had this urge that I needed to, to pray. I needed to say this prayer. That's how I get saved. Because at the time, we were going to a private school. We were going to Upland Christian. And you know, now that I'm a parent, I don't know how you afford private school. But um, we went to Upland Christian. And at uh, recess, if there was a kid that wanted to be saved, they would stay behind. And they would ask the teacher, you know, Miss Baker or Miss you know, Stiles or whoever the teacher was, how do I get saved? And they would say a prayer with them. And maybe there was a little magic associated with this prayer, you know, something like Harry Potter. And they would say these magic words, and they would be saved. And so that's my six-year-old mind thinking, I need to say this prayer, then I'll have it. Then I'll be saved. And so I asked my dad, Dad, can we pray? Can you pray with me? And so he prays, and I pray, and I tell him, I'm saved. I got it. Or so I thought. So then we fast forward 10 years. I'm 16 years old. I'm sitting in a gospel meeting, and there was a, a series of meetings, two weeks of gospel meetings, and Gaius Goff is one of the preachers, and there was something that he said that scared me half to death. And he's not a fire and brimstone preacher. 
but he said something that scared me. And he said, you can't add on to your salvation. I'm like, what on earth does that mean? You can't add on to your salvation. What are you talking about, Mr. Goff? And I kept thinking, what on earth does that mean? You can't add on to your, your salvation. And he went on to explain something like a race. Because, you know, the Bible talks about uh, the Christian walk as, as a race that's set before us. And, I, and I, at the time, I was in track, so maybe that's why it stuck with me. And you can't, if you don't start at the beginning, you're not going to finish the race. Okay? So I, I'm thinking of it like this. You have a 400-meter race, for those of you who are familiar with you know, track. It's one lap around the track. If you start at the starting line and you finish, yes, you finish the race. If you start at the 200-meter mark halfway through and you finish the race, did you finish the race? No, you're disqualified. You never started. You didn't start at the starting line. If you started five steps before the starting line, you, you didn't finish because you were disqualified. You never started the race. So those are the thoughts that kept rolling around in my mind, and it scared me because I really honestly, for the life of me, couldn't remember what it was that I was trusting in that night when I was six years old. And I would, that's the moment when I started to really have doubt. Am I really saved? Do I really have it? But my pride, you know, a dangerous thing, your pride, it would always get the better of me. And I would always rationalize it. I'd always think of it like a scale with my friends. And I didn't have horrible friends, but I had worldly friends, and I would always compare myself to my friends. And I would always come out the moral victor, let me tell you. Because, you know, I didn't swear, I didn't drink, I didn't womanize, I didn't go to parties, I didn't do any of that stuff. And so I would just think, well, if... Is that better? All right. Now you can hear me. Um, so I would always come out the moral victor. And I would just think to myself, well, I got to be saved. Because God wouldn't allow me to, you know, protect me like this if I wasn't saved. But remember that verse in Proverbs, which we read at the beginning, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's another verse which I've become familiar with after the fact, which describes my situation at that point exactly. It's in Matthew chapter 7. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That was me. If I had died at any point in my high school career, I would be burning in hell right now. I would be eternally separated from the love of Christ. <laughs> because what I was doing 
What I had done when I was six years old, and I'm not saying that you can't be saved when you're a young child. You absolutely can. But I wasn't. What I was doing is I was placing my faith in my own father. I was placing my trust that he knows how to be saved. If he thinks I'm saved, I gotta be saved. And maybe some of it was a little bit about the prayer that I said. And you can absolutely be, pray, be saved while you are praying, but no prayer will save you. But this, these verses in Matthew 7 describe me. If I had died when I was 16, when I was 17, and I was standing in front of the Lord God of heaven, he would have said to me, depart from me, I never knew you. The summer after I graduated high school, so this is 2006 now, my dad had what you may equate to a midlife crisis. Um, nothing crazy, but we went on a lot of road trips that year. And um, the first road trip is uh, we went on a road trip to Toronto, Canada, uh, which, if you're not familiar, is on the other side of the United States, on the top, um, for David's hockey tournament, my brother's hockey tournament, because he's pretty good at hockey. And that's a 40-hour drive. That's not a quick drive. Uh, that's not something you just pack everyone in the car and drive. That's a long, a long way. And it was pretty terrible, as 17-year-old experiences go. Um, that was not fun. Anyway, we stopped in Oklahoma City, and uh, that was the midway point, so that's about 20 hours into our journey. And we didn't stop to sleep anywhere other than this point. Like, you, we stopped once at 20 hours to sleep. We stopped for four, every four hours to get gas and use the restroom and, you know, one time for a meal every day. Um, that was just the way we road tripped. And um, we had made arrangements, so that was Saturday night, and Dad had made arrangements that we would, we would attend this little assembly in Oklahoma City um, on Sunday, the next morning, and they had asked him to speak. Guess what he spoke on? False profession. And I remember thinking, how on earth does he know that I have these doubts? How does he know that, I'm, that, I, that I don't know if I'm saved? How does he know that? But he didn't know what the Holy Spirit did. And he gave what I would equate as the best message that he's ever given. And at the end of the message, he asked the audience, are you the reason that I'm here today? But I was too proud. In that verse in Hebrews, if you remember that I read at the beginning, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's what I did. I, I hardened my heart. I didn't listen. I knew what I was holding on to wasn't real but I wasn't willing to let go. And the trip went on, and those thoughts go to the back of your mind. They get washed away. Your heart is hardened. And being 17, I was the youngest of four drivers, so we had my mom and my dad and Natalie, my sister and me, and we were driving, and we had stopped in uh, Michigan on our way back to see dad's family. That was actually fun. And, um, Somewhere, we were driving through Missouri somewhere, and being the youngest driver, I, you know, as youthful and vigorous as I was at 17, I was given the task of driving through the night. 
And uh, so it's about two o'clock in the morning. And um, I remember the rain just was incredible, just like golf ball size rain, just incredible rain. And maybe I'm thinking back and exaggerating, but this is how I remember it when I was 17. It was just incredible rain, just pouring down, beating on our minivan, two lane road, one lane going this way, one lane going that way through who knows where Missouri. And every time the semis would drive by us, the car would shake and rattle. And it's just raining cats and dogs and pigs and cows and everything else. It is raining. And I am white knuckling it. And David's my co-pilot to keep me awake. And he's awake. Everyone in the car is awake at this point. Mom is yelling at Tim, make him slow down. Tim, Tim, make him slow down. Grant, pull over, pull over, Grant. And um, that. Calm down, calm down, don't pull over. Pam, if we pull over, we're gonna get hit on the shoulder. Don't pull over. So we, so we survive, we get through there, but it was scary. And I remember thinking later, I could have died. If there was a fly in the car, I would have died. <laughs> but um, there wasn't. And uh, thankfully God preserved me, or else I, right now I would be in a lost eternity. And he preserved me right into another road trip, this time to Mississippi. So not as far, but this time we didn't stop to sleep. So this is 30 hours. We drive to Biloxi, Mississippi for a seed sower's effort. And if you're not familiar with seed sowers, you go around and you pass out either Bible tracts or you pass out Bible verses. In our case, we were passing out John 3, 16 text. And, you know, it's all flowery and it looks like medieval, you know, calligraphy. And it's all nice and everyone's happy in Mississippi and very polite and it's... 100 degrees outside and 95% humidity, and it was miserable. And I remember um, every night that we would all get together at you know, one of the believers' house there who we were helping with, because this was a year after Katrina, um, and there would be testimony time. And I remember the night, it was probably the second or third night, one of the dads there, he said, does anybody from California have a testimony? You know, staring me down. Okay, all right, fine. So I told him my Kool-Aid story, my, my six-year-old testimony, and no one's the wiser. Nobody second-guessed me. Everyone thought I was saved. But later that night, or if it, I, don't, I don't remember if it was the, the night after that, Natalie, my sister, gave her testimony. And I remember hearing my, my sister's testimony maybe like once or twice, and it was when she was seven or eight, very similar to my own. She had, you know been led to the Lord. But this story that she's telling us now is continuing to the present day. So I'm all ears. What's going on here? What, what do you mean? Why, why is the story still going on, Natalie? Like you were saved when you were eight, right? And she keeps going. And she went on to tell everybody that my dad had given a message in Oklahoma City and um, about two months before and she had never been more sure that what she had was not salvation. She remembers that, she, rem she recalled that every year we were attending Monrovia, and um, every year, similar to what we do at Claremont here, the, the men of the assembly would share their testimony about how God had saved them. And she would, she would listen to those testimonies, and she would listen to the, the certainty and the insurance that those men had had that it talks about in 1 John that you may know that you have eternal life. And she realized, I don't have that. I want that. I want the real thing. 
And keep in mind, she's in fellowship in the assembly already. She's breaking bread in the assembly already. And that night, in the car, driving through who knows where, Missouri or something, she was dwelling on Acts 16.31, where it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In the car, driving through who knows where, she trusted the promise that God made to her. She did something I couldn't. She didn't harden her heart. She trusted in his promise. That was it for me. I was done. Every barrier was down, or almost. My pride was essentially gone. I knew I wasn't saved. I knew the promise she had trusted in, the assurance that she had, that was different than what I was holding on to. But I still wouldn't ask anybody. I wanted so badly for someone to come up to me and ask me, Grant, are you saved? I would have said, no, I'm not. But nobody did. Nobody asked me that. And life went on. Remember that verse in Hebrews, harden not your heart. There we go again. And just like that rich young ruler, I walked away sorrowful. So we'll sidestep my story. We'll talk about our second man here in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet Say this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and the beginning, at the beginning of the scripture and preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe me with all of your heart, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I love that account. Because it demonstrates to us how that when you seek after God, 
you will find him. Here was this man, a foreigner from Ethiopia, traveling all the way to Israel, presumably seeking after the truth, seeking after God. And he's in his chariot, on his way home, still searching for answers. He's searching for God. He is seeking after God. He didn't find him yet. And how God placed a believer in his life to point him in the direction of Christ. Just like every other person that's ever been saved, God has placed something in their path to direct them towards Christ. If they are seeking after him, he will do that. He's promised us. Where's that verse in Deuteronomy? I want to read it again. That if you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. Here's this man, this eunuch, seeking after God. Philip is put right there in that situation. And now there's a decision that needs to be made. That eunuch needs to make a decision. Will he trust him? Or will he reject him? Just like everyone who is under the words of the gospel, they need to make a decision for Christ or against him. There's no middle ground. There's either life or there's death. So we go back to me. And keep in mind, this man, he went away rejoicing. The first man walks away sorrowful. This man is rejoicing. Praise God. So we get home from yet another Bible conference that same summer, 2006. This time we went to Arlington, Washington. We got to fly this time. We didn't have to drive, thankfully. But I remember sitting in the plane, landing, and there was a little bit of turbulence, and I'm thinking, please let me survive this. Because I still had doubt. And guess what happened when we got home? My sister gave her testimony again. I haven't heard Natalie give her testimony since this time. And it might have been only for that reason that God placed her in that situation to speak to me. And I remember we were at Uncle Rod and Aunt Cindy's house and she shared with everybody how God had saved her because it was news to everybody. Remember, she's been in the assembly. She'd been taking part, you know, not standing up and taking part, but she'd been breaking bread with everybody for years. And so she told everybody about that night, about how she was considering Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I thank God that he used the Holy Spirit, my sister in no small way, to speak to me and to point me in that right direction. She told that story again, how God had saved her. 
driving through who knows where's USA. And I was not going to let this pass away again. And I remember we got home that night. It was about 10 o'clock. And I turned off my phone. And I was waiting for a text from somebody, but I turned off my phone. And I locked myself in my room. And I tried to think about every verse that I could that had to do with salvation, because this was before I had a computer. And I kept praying, God, show me salvation. Show me how to be saved. I want to be saved. And so I remember writing down two verses, John 3.16 and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In John 3.16, and I remember just praying, just God, show me your salvation. I want to be saved. Show me how to be saved. And I kept reading those verses over and over again. And it wasn't clicking. It wasn't making sense. How do I get saved? I mean, I mean, what is step one, two, three, four? You know, what is it? How do I get saved? What do I got to do? I mean, I know Jesus died for me. I, I, I know that he died and rose again. I, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm worthy of death. How, how do I get saved, Lord? And I, this time it's 1 o'clock in the morning. A few hours have gone by. And I remember reading John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. Whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. Believeth. That was it. It clicked. There was nothing I had to do. All the work was done. All I needed to do was trust him. I needed to believe on him. I needed to have faith in him. That was it. There was nothing that Grant needed to do. There was nothing I needed to do. No commandments I needed to follow that I needed to uphold. There was no good work that I needed to do. Simply believing. There was no magical feeling. There was no ecstasy. I didn't see an angel. There was no aura surrounding me. There was nothing magical about it. It was simple faith. Simple trust that what Christ had done on the cross, he was willing and able to perform. He was, those promises that he was, he was able to keep to me. And for the first time in my life, now at 18 years old, I understood what John 3.16 meant. I had known that verse since I was my son's age. And at that moment, I knew that after I died, when God looked upon me, he would not see the dirty, horrible sinner that I am, but he would see the blood of his son who had died to save me. Because now, I had placed my trust on something greater than myself, on the rock that is Jesus Christ, on the foundation, on the cornerstone of my salvation, Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of Christians you know, as we're on this journey, we're on this race that is set before us, this was the starting point of my race. And now I could walk away rejoicing. I didn't walk away sorrowful like that rich young ruler who was presented with the gospel, who was presented with the facts, who was laid open and showed his own heart before God. 
now I knew that my trust was on something greater than myself. Like it speaks of in Proverbs, I was placing my trust on something greater than myself. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There are so many people, like that rich young ruler, who think that they're on their way to heaven, that think themselves righteous, that think themselves well, that they have no need of a physician. But Christ is calling to them because they're placing their faith in something that they have done, something that they have accomplished, some experience that they've had. They're not placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died to save them. And I'm not saying that Christians can't have doubt. They can. But for me, that doubt was showing me, the Holy Spirit showing me, that what I had was nothing. That what I was placing my faith in was not the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saved me. And if you feel like the Lord Jesus is calling to you, harden not your heart. Because he's giving you another opportunity. He's calling after you again. And he's patiently waiting for you. And in Deuteronomy 4 and 29 it says, But if from thence you shall seek the Lord God, the Lord thy God, you shall find him if you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul. If you want to be saved, God made us all a promise. In that verse, if you seek him, you will find him. But you'll be placed with the facts. You'll be placed in front of the facts. And you'll have to make that decision for yourself. In John 3 and 36, it gives us an idea for those who do not choose to trust him. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, he that believeth not the Son, shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Friend in the meeting, do not be like that man that came so close to the Savior, who was presented with the facts, who was face to face with the creator of the world, and walked away sorrowful. Do not be that one that speaks about in Matthew who says, who the Lord Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. If you want to be saved, seek after him, because you will find him. It's a promise that God made to us, and he will always do what he says. Seek after him before it's forever too late, before the very wrath of the Almighty God is upon you. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, again we thank you for this time that you've given to us to open up your word. And we thank you for your Son, for all that he is. We know that he is that rock upon which our salvation rests. He is that cornerstone of our salvation. He is that good ground on which we can build all things. 
We thank you for the sacrifice that he has made for us, the blood that was shed so that we might be with him one day. That when we die, we might see him face to face. We might see our Savior. That lamb who was slaughtered for us, that blood that was shed for us. We thank you that when, when we die, when you look upon us, that you will see the blood of your Son and not as the sinners we are. We pray that if there are any here that are unsaved, that they might earnestly seek after you. That you might place obstacles in their way. That they might understand their position before God. That they might be saved. That they might know you. That they might know the love of Christ. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.